Welcome to The Dental Brief, the world's direct, right-to-the-point podcast produced to get you the information you need to learn and grow your practice. To learn more about our guests and find links to information discussed on our show, visit our website, dentalbrief.com. On to today's episode. Good morning, everyone, and welcome to another episode of The Dental Brief. I am very excited to have with us today our guest, uh, Bob Brooks. Uh, Bob, say hello. Hey, everybody. Now, Bob is a transition advisor with uh, Practice and Endeavors. Um, Bob, why don't you go ahead and tell us a little about your, your background and uh, how you got into uh, advising on transitions? Well, this is actually my second career. I've been doing this uh, about uh, 17 and a half years, and I had a lot to learn since it's my second career. So I took every opportunity to learn more about practice brokerage and dental realty that I could. I've been a, a, a dental realty uh, agent uh, the entire time and uh, helped uh, dozens of new startups. And I could see, however, that over the course of the time, we filled up so many good locations in our areas with new startups that I needed to get into practice brokerage. So I've been doing that about 12 years. And I uh, became credentialed with a couple different groups to be able to uh, get a better skill set and knowledge base in that area. Also participated with the practice valuation study group gathering and actually have uh, helped out with the program uh, for that the last couple years. Also, uh, because of my credentialing with the International Business Brokers Association as a certified business intermediary, I was able to put dentists together with the IBBA and start a, uh, help start a dental credentialing, dental practice broker credentialing program nationally, and that exists through the International Business Brokers Association. So I've uh, uh, been published a little bit, and uh, we're helping a lot of dentists uh, who are interested in buying and selling practices, and uh, I still do some real estate, although that's uh, taken uh, a less of a role in our business than in the past. Sure. Now, you're based in Ohio. What other states do you serve? Well, we primarily serve Ohio. And uh, we can help out a little bit in other areas of the country and uh, definitely be happy to respond to somebody who has questions, even if they're outside of Ohio. Now, one of the things that um, I wanted to talk with you about um, and have you on the show uh, to discuss uh, is helping dentists choose a location. It's very stressful, uh, very cumbersome, um, and I know it's something that you're expert at. So so tell me some of the, the troubles that you see out there when dentists are looking for a location, some of the hazards to, to uh, keep an eye out on how they should kind of put together a process for finding the best location for their practice. Well, quite frankly, I was shocked when I got into uh, this vocation that there were as few tools to help decide where to put the practices as there were. So uh, I got involved in site location, uh, actually helped develop a company called RealScore, Real Estate Analysis and Location Score. You can find it at realscore.com. I no longer have a financial interest in the company, but there are other services like that of Scott McDonald as well out of uh, Utah. And um, I think the practice location is so important because if you don't know what the population to practitioner ratio is, you don't know what you're getting yourself into. And it's a hazard I refer to as the... um, Hotel California syndrome. What what would that be? HSD, uh, HC, 
D. Yeah, there we go. And uh, the Eagles <laughs> song from 1978, you know, has a, a lyric in it. You can check out any time you like, but you can never leave. Sure. So you might mentally check out of a practice if you choose a bad location, but you can't leave because you right. signed a long-term lease. You purchased a practice in this facility. You signed a lease. Maybe you purchased the real estate. And so many dentists who do startups, you know, they've been told by their real estate agent or they've been told by their dental equipment person or they've been told by their CPA, like, oh, that's a great location or they drove down the street and they saw a pretty building and it had a for lease sign in front of it. And they go, oh, I think I'll open a practice there. Well, I should have as good of idea where a good location is as anybody. And I'll tell you, I can't tell if it's a good location by looking at it from the outside. You really have to do your homework. And so population to practitioner ratio is huge. When we look at uh, startups, it's the number one factor. I've also blended 15 other real estate factors with that to, to make a decision about scoring locations. But um, the, uh, the ratio is so important in startups, it's probably the most limiting factor. And that standard would be, um, I think Scott McDonald uses 1400 to one. Don't do a startup if the, for a general dentist if the population to practitioner ratio is less than 1400 to one. Sure. I think ADA might use uh, maybe 1600 or one of their writers that have written for them in the past use that number. And then we actually use 2001. So we're pretty conservative. Um, just to give you an example, how big of a deal it is. I had a dentist that uh, wanted to go in a location where the, it was a fairly popular area and the ratio was 1100 to one and the rent at that time was $30 per square foot. And I was uh, successful in encouraging them to consider another location that was only 15 minutes from their home. That was uh, a rural community outside the metropolitan area where the ratio was 2,700 to one and the rent, the starting rent was $15 a square foot. That's the base triple net rent. Of course, rents have risen since that time, sure. but uh, so the rent was half as much and the ratio was more than double. And that practice was doing this scratch start and it was doing four and a half million dollars after four and a half years. That's just one example. And I've got many, many examples that happens to be one of the shining stars. So that would be for startups. And that would be as if you're if you're wanting to add a satellite office, if you're an existing practice owner or if you're an associate dentist and you want to do a new startup. Now, other considerations for practice buyers would be where are your patients uh, for practice buyers would be uh, if the if there is saturation in the area where the practices that you want to buy, it's not necessarily a bad thing. Uh, there are some communities in central Ohio where the ratio is 700 to one, a terrible ratio, and their practices being sold there for top dollar. Now, what's important in those situations is for the practice buyer to do everything that they can possibly do to maximize patient retention because they're not going to be able to grow the practice very well. They really need to maximize patient retention. So that's not the, the subject of this session today, but you can imagine all the things you, you might want to do with the first one might be uh, keeping the, the seller on, you know, uh, if the if the pie is big enough that there's enough income for this, the seller to stay on part-time at least, you can maximize patient retention. 
and all those things you need to do to maximize patient retention, keep the staff in place, keep doing everything the same for at least a while, uh, th that becomes very important. So, um, and then uh, for um, startups, you want to look at a lot of demographic factors as well, not just the ratio, but is it the population you want to serve? You know, there are some dentists who want to serve Medicaid populations, and there are some dentists who want to perform more cosmetic procedures. And so sure. you need to look at the demographics in that area. Absolutely. As you know, in my background in marketing, one thing that we talked with dentists about is finding, uh, you know, knowing their niche audience. What's the audience? What's the ideal patient for them? Who do they want to see mm -hmm. in their practice? I think it's really, really important. If you find the type of people that you want and that you're going to work well with, it, it just makes it that much easier. And some areas don't have those demographics of people. They don't have that niche audience. So don't start a practice. You know, this is advice that I would give them. I'm not a transition expert. So let me make that very clear. But if there's not the type of people, if you want to work with young professionals um, and you're in an area with an aging population um, with no children in the home, well, there's no young professionals in that area to work with um, or very few. So maybe that's not um, a great idea. So I think it is important knowing um Know who you want to work with. I've got a, a, a follow up question for you. Um, how can one have some type of protection if you're if you're really looking at those numbers? I think you said two thousand to one um, is the the ratio that you should be looking at. Out here in Colorado, we tend to see areas just boom really quickly, and you could move into a location that's three thousand or, or four thousand to one, and within six months, it's down to a thousand to one, just because. Dentists see the, you know, they see the opportunity, they see the growth, and there's a couple of areas in particular I've actually seen this happen. And then there's three or four separate dentists, uh, dentists that aren't aware of each other that are all working on building practices, startups at the same time. Anything that you could do to prevent that, or is that just kind of the way the, the cookie crumbles? Well, it's the free enterprise system, right? <laughs> sure, yeah. So uh, I've seen it as well. In fact, in fact it's uh, actually more problematic where some of uh, the uh, consulting firms like the Scheduling uh, Institute, they recommend practices going in like, you know, 20 or 30 chair operatories, you know, startups. We've got a couple of those in central Ohio where a um, uh, two dentists actually did go in almost exact, exact same like location and they each have really large practices. I think they're both 20 chair plus startups. Yeah. And, uh, you know, a couple of blocks from each other. And I guess you could talk to the uh, dental equipment people. You could talk to the, the CPAs and attorneys, um, uh, you know, the transition consultants in the area, try to get a feel for what's going on. A lot of times the dental equipment people will know in advance because they're trying to get these big accounts. Sure. They'll know that somebody's bidding on, you know, a massive amount of equipment. And uh, that might be a way to, to determine things. But, you know, you can't beat, you know, it's the old saying, location, location, location. Mm -hmm. If you can go on a at a signalized intersection on a main thoroughfare in a retail location, I don't care who else goes in there. You're going to, you know, you're going to get a lot of people's attention. It doesn't yeah. have to be in a strip center, strip retail center. It can still be a retail location and be a freestanding building. Uh, but even the ones that go in retail centers. Uh, I've had to, I've had lots of experience with, uh, dentists going into retail centers and 
quite frankly, they've been very successful when the ratios and the other factors are good because you have exclusivity language so that nobody can el- nobody else can go in that center. So if they go into a power retail center, if there's a major grocer or Walmart or you know some major retailer, it's what we call power center, and there's exclusivity, you're not going to have the competition in that center. Sure. And typically, what we see is about 30% of all patients come to that practice because they pulled in the parking lot for some other business and they saw you were there. So that's yeah. a good way to protect yourself. That's fantastic advice. Some more advice we could we could uh, would love to get from you here is um, how do you and I know you um, you've worked on credentialing for transition consultants. How do you um, how do you suggest our audience members uh, vet um, someone to help them whether they're looking to buy a practice or they're looking to sell a practice? Um, how should they go about vetting the right person uh, to work with? Well, I think it's pretty easy to check somebody's credentials, you know, see if they're committed to their industry, if they've got some initials behind their name. And if they are, uh, obviously if they, they aren't credentialed, but they've done 3000 deals, they've got quite a bit of experience. Sure. Uh, and sometimes, uh, uh, dentists act- don't actually have a very good perception or a very good understanding of what, uh, brokers have done. I've uh, heard buyers say, well, so-and-so helped me buy this practice, and they thought that the broker was representing them. Actually, the broker was representing the seller. Sure. And unfortunately, they were so naive, they just kind of took a hook, line, and sinker. Yeah. Uh, you don't like to see that. I would say that um, from the standpoint of practice location, if somebody was going to relocate practice or do a startup, um, you would... Uh, you know, if you're riding in a car with a, a broker or somebody that's giving you advice and you say, hey, well, there's a good looking building. It's like, well, there's a sign. Let's call on it. I, well, that would be a red flag because that, that's not the way you go about it. OK, you, you do all your homework and you can do that in your office and then you can find all the properties online. And then you you look at those properties and then you look in the areas where you want to be to see if there's anything that pops up that's not on your list. And you start going about it that way. You just don't uh, you don't go about it backwards. Sure. The other thing that uh, you can look at is does somebody do patient mapping? I think it's important for an advisor to do patient mapping. I'm not talking about zip code list. I'm talking about patient mapping. So whether it comes off of Dentrex or if it comes off of EagleSoft or a number of the other softwares, you can get an Excel report of all the patients. Now. When I get those reports, I absolutely definitely do not want the patient's names. But if we have the street address, city, state, and zip code, then we can physically map them. We can see where your practice location is if you've got an existing practice. If you want to relocate it, what's that look like and what opportunity does that give you to a new patient pool? Or if you're doing a startup, uh, you're not going to have a patient list. But the existing practices that want to relocate or add satellite offices, that's very important. Yeah, Bob, that's uh, excellent advice. Um, I want to thank you very much for coming on today. And I want to encourage our audience, check out practiceendeavors.com. Um, follow up with Bob with any questions that you have. Um, I know we can only cover a little bit uh, in this format and there's a, a world of information available to you. So, uh, Bob, thank you very much for coming on. We appreciate it. Okay, Patrick. I appreciate being on. Take care. Thank you for joining us on today's episode. Did you know you can weigh in on today's topic on Facebook? 
Search The Dental Brief on Facebook or visit our website, dentalbrief.com, and just follow the link. We look forward to having you join us again on another episode of The Dental Brief.